in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. If you're visiting with us this morning, we are... Drop the remote, sorry. We are uh, currently studying through a, a series or having a series called the Holy Spirit. And... We're going to read one verse, and then we're going to be looking at a lot of different verses, uh, we'll, and then eventually we'll come back to this one verse at the end. So Ephesians chapter 5, I want us to read verse 18. Ephesians five eighteen, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the, whole, with the Spirit. Let's pray together. Lord, we humble ourselves before your word, We recognize that it is the supernatural, alive word of God that we need it to be. And we thank you, Lord, that you've delivered it to us to study, to build our lives upon. We pray now, Lord, that we would commune with you and sit at your feet, Jesus, and learn from you and be taught by you, by your spirit, Lord. We pray you'd encourage your servants. We thank you for intervening and speaking a word to them of encouragement. We thank you, Lord, that you're so good at that. And uh, we glorify you for that, and we worship you for that. Now, as we dig into your word now and look at what your word says regarding uh, one of your spirit's ministries, Lord, we pray that you would um, give, help us to know how to apply these verses to our lives. Lord, we thank you that your word is always powerful. We pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open and ready to hear and to obey what your word tells us this morning. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, so far in this series on the Holy Spirit, we've looked at our desperate need for him. We've looked at his person and his ministry. We've looked at the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And today I want to look at his refilling, the Holy Spirit and his refilling. It amazes me how little attention is given to the ministry of the Spirit in general related to teaching in churches and what people learn on Sundays and Bible studies and so forth, but especially true related to the refilling of the Spirit or the Spirit filling us multiple times. And it is so important, as we'll see, so important for us to be refilled with the Spirit. And I, and I ask the question, why? I mean, why would it be so important for us to be refilled with the Holy Spirit. And the answer has to do with the reason why he desires to fill us or baptize us with the Holy Spirit in the first place, very closely related. A couple weeks ago, when we looked at the baptism with the Holy Spirit, we looked at its purpose as far as what the Lord Jesus himself revealed its purpose to be in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And I want to read that a few verses in Acts chapter 1 again, where he said this, or it says this, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The purpose for the upon experience that we looked at, that he's with us before we come to know Christ. When we receive Christ, he comes inside of us. We're indwelt by the Spirit. And oftentimes, subsequent to that, there's a time in, there's a time where he comes upon us and we're baptized with the Spirit. And as we looked at, that can happen concurrently with salvation. That can happen at the same time at salvation. We see that in Cornelius and his family's lives when, when Peter came to their house and started to preach the gospel. And before he could finish, God interrupt, has no problem interrupting a preacher. And say, and say amen. Okay. Um, and he interrupts this preacher and uh, they, they're saved. They have faith in Christ, but also they're baptized with the Holy Spirit and he comes upon them as we saw. So he, we saw that this purpose is for power. When he comes upon us, when we're baptized with the Spirit, it's to give us power. The Lord Jesus himself said that. But it's not just for power for any purpose. It's not for power to draw people to myself. It's not for power to have people impressed with me, to look at me and say, oh, look how dynamic of a Christian that person is, or anything else. It's power to be a witness to Jesus. When, we're, when we see a car accident and the police officer comes and says, did you see anything? And you say, yeah, I'm a witness to the accident. We're saying we witnessed something, we saw something, we experienced something. That's what we're saying as disciples of the Lord Jesus. We're saying, I'm a witness to him. I know he's real. I know he's alive. The disciples were testifying that they witnessed him raised from the dead and the truth of the gospel and so forth. We're saying the same thing, that we believe he rose from the dead, that the gospel is true and so forth, and we need power to do that. When power goes out in your house, Nothing works. Don't you love that? And you always look for those flashlights that have batteries that don't work. You know, or your Tim Glass would probably be breaking out the generator, you know, and running his whole house. If he wasn't already running the whole house on the generator for other reasons, to give more power to his projects, I don't know. But with, nothing runs without power. And it's the same with the Christian life. Related to ministry and being a disciple and, and what we're called to be, when we have no power, it's equally frustrating. And I believe it's more so in the sense that it is related to eternal things that we don't have power for. Related to being a good representation of the Lord Jesus. Related to having boldness to preach the gospel when we know that God has put us in this situation to preach that gospel, to be bold for him, and we, don't, we, we, we want to cave to that, to that pressure. We're afraid what people think of us or what their conclusions about us are going to be. The Christian life is a supernatural life. And that life requires supernatural power. Frustration comes from trying to live the Christian life in the power of our own strength. To try to roll up our sleeves, so to speak, and try to get things done for God apart from the power that He so freely wants to give us. So, That's the problem. We need to be filled with the Spirit. But as it's been said, the problem is we leak. We're leaky vessels. And God could have arranged it so that once we were baptized with the Holy Spirit or filled with the Spirit, that that power would remain constant throughout our entire Christian life. But he chose not to do it. And I believe one of the reasons, and this is just a 
opinion, and this is, you know, just a, a theory, but I believe that it, he didn't want that because he wants us to remain dependable upon him, to be in prayer, to be dependent and recognizing our need for him at any given time. So he chose otherwise. It's been said that we are leaky vessels, but God loves free refills. You know, the restaurant industry weren't the first ones to come up with free refills. Remember when that happened? If you're old enough to remember that. Wow, unlimited, 64 ounces. You know, we can drink twice our body weight in Pepsi now, you know, at, at, at Taco Bell or whatever, as if those, um, what were they called there? Let's see, what were they, what were the Encheritos? Encheritos, Bell Beefers. There's all kinds of pseudo, pseudo, I mean, I love Hispanic brothers and sisters and teasing them. I am going to go have Mexican food at Taco Bell and watch them flip out. What? That's not Mexican food. I know it's not. But we get to pretend that it is for a moment. Bell beefers. Just remember that. Those, those had their place. But, okay, I talked about free refills, and I don't know how we ended up with that. But God loves free refills. He wants to fill us up at any time. And as we'll see, the disciples in the book of Acts we're not just filled one time. And a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people haven't looked carefully to see the, the different times in the book of Acts where the disciples were, were filled multiple times. Why? Because they leak, just like we leak. And they, they needed that power because they were regularly in need of being a witness to him and regularly in need of being filled with the power to do it. And since we have the same calling as those disciples in the sense that we're called to obey the Great Commission and go out and preach that gospel and to represent the Lord well, everywhere that we find ourselves, we have the same need to be refilled just like they were repeatedly in the book of Acts. Four times in the book of Acts, we're going to look at them this morning, four times in the book of Acts, We see the refilling of the Spirit, that the Spirit refilled them and gave them power when they sensed, or even when they potentially didn't sense that they needed power. But God sensed that they did. He filled them with the Spirit. And I want to begin with us going to Acts 2, and we'll go back to Ephesians 5 at the end, so it's up to you. You have freedom in Christ to put your thumb there or not. Isn't that great, having liberty to be able to choose whether or not you are going to do that or not. No one's controlling you on that. So turn over to Acts chapter 2. And I want us to see, first of all, just briefly, the first time that they were filled. Because you have to establish that they were filled to begin with to show that they were refilled. And to show that that is possible. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 4. We're told this. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, as we saw in Acts 1 a couple weeks ago, the Lord Jesus told them to wait for this experience. It was called the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And so then the fulfillment of that happens in Acts 2.4 when it says they were waiting on that day, on the day of Pentecost there. And it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So I want you to see that being baptized with the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Spirit are synonymous. They're the same thing. You're baptized with the Holy Spirit the, the first time that you're ever baptized with the Spirit. And then after that, you're, it's referred to as being filled with the Spirit or refilled with the Spirit. So those things are synonymous. Now go over to Acts chapter 4 as 
we'll see the first time anyone was refilled with the Spirit or filled with the Spirit again. People freak out and say, it doesn't say refilled. Well, if they were filled for, at the beginning and then they're filled again, I don't know, I'm not you know, a grammarian related to Greek, but it seems like you could say that they were refilled again. They were filled once again. So let's not get tripped up in semantics here. Uh, they were filled again. If you don't want to say refilled, you can say filled again. If that makes people happy, we'll, we'll be glad to comply. Acts chapter 4, let's begin reading in verse 1. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then This is at verse 8 here. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means uh, he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness, notice that word boldness. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. So this is the first time that I'm aware of, that I've read through it pretty thoroughly, that any of them were refilled with the Holy Spirit. And you notice that I pointed out the word boldness in verse 13. That's the main thing that they saw in this instance related to the effects of uh, being filled with the Spirit was boldness. But because of their threats and Peter and the others, they needed more power and so forth. They prayed and they asked the Lord because um, the fact that there was, there, this is a real threat. I mean, you look at the boldness for them to say the things that he said to them. They had all the power. Once you're put out of the synagogue in that time, you lose all your business contacts, you lose everything. Now, I know that they weren't hanging out in synagogues per se. They had their own meetings and so forth. But to come against these religious leaders who had the power to throw you into prison, they they didn't have power to engage in capital punishment, although with Stephen they broke that and they actually stoned him to death. But Rome did not give them the freedom to, to engage in capital punishment. But they could do a lot of things to you, <laughs> horrible things. And those are very real threats. For us, they're words on a page. We know the, the, the outcome and what happened. But to them, this is real time. They're experiencing this for the first time. They don't know what's going to happen and so forth. These are very real threats. But you see that, that Peter was filled with the Spirit to speak to them the truth about their guilt related to the Son of God. For them to hear that they murdered the Messiah would be the most horrific thing you could ever speak to those that have the power to persecute you and to hurt you. But yet he did. He said it and he had boldness. And 
they, they didn't have education, formal education. They didn't have formal training. They had the best training of all. They had they'd been with Jesus. And they had that boldness uh, came, coming from that baptism with the Holy Spirit. So now I want us to read the second time where they were filled with the Spirit. Go down a few verses down to verse 21 of chapter 4. Because other things had happened, they had preached more, they had been threatened and all this. And then in verse 21, after they had been called on the carpet, so to speak, it says, So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old, on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord, so they're in total unity, and said, Lord, you are God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose destined, or determined rather, before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness, there we go again, with boldness, they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So we see this reoccurring theme of boldness, boldness, boldness. They asked God for this boldness. They know they needed it. See, the question wasn't what to do. They knew what they were supposed to do. They knew they were supposed to not compromise. They knew they were supposed to proclaim the kingdom of God. They knew they were supposed to preach the gospel. They knew they were supposed to be vessels through whom God could do miracles and all of that. They knew what to do. They just didn't have the power to do it. They knew they were supposed to be bold, but they knew they didn't have the power to be bold. And so they recognized that and they came together and they asked God and they went through all these things and honored him and worshiped him in this prayer and so forth. And they asked for this boldness and God answered and filled them all with the Holy Spirit. And then it says at the end of verse 31, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Power to be a witness to Christ includes being bold for him. Do you ever lack boldness for God? Sometimes you ask people, why don't, why don't believers share their faith more? And there's a lot of reasons why. But a lot of times you'll hear Christians, myself included, could say this. Sometimes I'm afraid. Sometimes I'm afraid what people are going to say. I'm, sometimes I'm afraid how people are going to treat me. I mean, really, none of us, at least at this point, are in any danger of being thrown into prison. Maybe in San Francisco, you know, have a city ordinance about preaching the gospel. Christians ignore that all the time. And they preach the gospel. But there are some places, Canada, you could be thrown into prison. Obviously, in other parts of the world, it's against the law just to be a Christian, to say nothing of preaching the gospel. So we lack that boldness. And God wants to come in and fill us with the Spirit and give us boldness. So those are two examples. Peter, to to stand up and preach 
the first time, and then later when they're in that room there and they ask for boldness to, to step out and obey everything that God had told them to do, that's the second example. Now, the third the example is the Apostle Paul, and we'll look at that in a moment. But again, first I want to show where he was baptized with the Spirit in the first place. Turn over to Acts chapter 9, a few chapters. You know, and in this area of Scripture, you, Paul the Apostle, Saul of Tarsus, is on the road to Damascus. And he's been given permission by the chief rulers to arrest Christians in Damascus, in a whole other country. They're given permission. That's how much power these religious leaders had. So they, he has this authority to arrest them. He had already been persecuting him, throwing him into prison, causing them to blaspheme, dividing families up. He, I mean, he was a monster. And on the way there to Damascus, the Lord Jesus appears around noontime, and his glory outshines the noonday Middle Eastern sun. That's how powerful his glory is. He falls to the ground. We're not told he was riding a horse. He could have been. We're not told that. He falls to the ground. His companions fall to the ground. He's blinded. And he says, who are you, Lord? And, and then he receives instruction from the Lord Jesus to go to Damascus and to go to that place where he's going to receive prayer from Ananias. Now, Ananias comes to him. And we see that in, in chapter 9, verse 17, where it says, read along with me, And Ananias went his way and entered the house. Laying his hands on him, on him he said, Brother Saul, that was a step of faith, just to say, Brother Saul, I know it was. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. That's when Paul was baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. But then it happens again to the Apostle Paul. Paul was baptized here, but if you turn over to Acts 13, go over a few chapters, we're going to see where, where he's refilled with the Spirit. Acts 13, I want to begin reading in verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, so the Holy Spirit speaking, he's a person, we already went over that, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. This is their first missionary journey. So verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. That's John Mark. Now when they had gone through the island of uh, Paphos, or God through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet. Wait a minute, aren't there, we're supposed to be tolerant, you know, and all religions are the same. No, God says he's a sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus. That's a fancy name right there. Sergius Paulus. That's almost like a designer name. Are you going to go to, 
you know, the, the Gap or Sergius Paulus today to get your outfit. I mean, that's fancy stuff right there. An intelligent man. Yep. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, Elymas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. How many people in our world try to turn people away from the faith? Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, right there, looked intently at him and said, O oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Interesting that Paul was blinded in the, as part of his conversion, and then he's being sent out on the first missionary journey, first of three, being sent out from Antioch of Syria, there and someone is impeding someone else coming to faith and God fills him with the spirit to pronounce judgment on him now you can't do this in traffic okay I just want you to know that God's not going to fill you with the spirit to pronounce judgment on someone that cuts you off in traffic and now they're not going to be able to see and they're going to have to pull over and get help it doesn't work that way this is something way more serious obviously than being cut off in traffic but it's interesting it's a little bit different than how how he filled this, them, or, or not different how he filled them, but a different in how, how the application worked out in the person's life who received that refilling. Was Peter, it was for boldness. It was for boldness to stand up and preach that gospel, boldness to stand up in front of the religious leaders and, or take a stand in the, in the world related to their threats and all of that and, and to preach the truth and be what God called them to be in the face of great persecution and potential harm. But I don't believe Paul is afraid of this guy at all. I don't think that Saul, uh, who would be known from this point on really as the Apostle Paul, um, I don't think that he was afraid or needed boldness to do this thing. And, and of course, in some of these, we're not even told that he asked to be refilled or whatever they did in the previous one we looked at. But I mean, if your heart is generally submitted to God and you're wanting to do his will, you're walking by the Spirit, you're being led by him, you're being found right in the middle of his will, and you need something, I believe that God obviously can fill somebody without even asking. But he could have asked, I don't know. But we're not, it's not told that. But the common denominator is, is that Paul was being a witness to Jesus here. He was representing the Lord. He was representing the Lord Jesus' gospel Someone, remember how upset Jesus was and revealed himself to be in the Gospels there when, I think it's Matthew 23, where he's talking about the Pharisees impeding people of coming to, to faith in him and becoming, uh, their disciples becoming twice the son of hell as they were and, and, and being a stumbling block for people. That brought great anger out. That's the same heart that he has here. God is upset when people get in the way of people coming to faith in him. And we have to be very careful related to how we um, are afraid to stand up when people are getting in the way of other people coming to faith. Because the Apostle Paul, it wasn't just because he was an apostle here, that somehow he had this capacity or somehow you know, had a special um, 
enforcement ministry where he could pronounce judgment on people. I'm not saying that God wants to use us every day and causing people to go blind or anything like that, but God could. And, and so God's heart is that we stand up for the things of the Lord and he can fill us to overflowing in that moment where we need to be bold for him and we need to stand up and say, stop doing what you're doing. What you're doing is wrong. It's getting in the way of people coming to faith in Christ. You need to stop that. Sometimes we don't want to rock the boat or we don't want to, whatever the apple cart phrase is, you know, move, upset the apple cart. Or we don't, We're afraid because we want to be seen as loving. We want to be seen as patient. And that's true. But there's a time where we need to stand up and speak up. There's a time where we need to be salt and light and stand up for the things of the Lord and say, that is wrong. Stop what you're doing. And God can give us an overflowing empowerment of the Spirit to stand up and to stand up for what's right. Some of you need to stand up in your family for what's right and what's wrong. They know you're a Christian, and maybe you've been quiet for a while. They're living lifestyles completely contrary to God, and you're, you're as silent as, as an unbeliever. God says you need to stand up for the truth. Be bold in your family. I'm talking about your extended family, too. Not just your immediate family, your extended family. To stand up and, and speak the truth. Represent God in the situation. And it doesn't mean you have to be rude. It doesn't have, I mean, anyone could have accused Paul of potentially being rude here. Full of, oh, full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil. That's not exactly winning friends and influencing people here. But even though some people could, even if you do it in the right way, accuse you of not being loving, there's a way to do it appropriately, to be bold, and but yet be loving in your expression of the truth. And God is willing to fill us with his spirit, to give us that power to, to do that. Sometimes standing up for the truth related to someone else being stumbled, for some of us, is easier. Because, oh, you're messing with someone else, I can... I can stand up for them. But sometimes for some of us, it's not. It's actually harder to stand up for someone else that is being uh, wronged. And, and God wants to give us that power and give us that boldness to represent him and to be a witness to him in that context and say, you need to stop it right now. You need to stop what you're doing and you need to do the right thing. And, and he will give us all the power to do that. So that's number three. Number four, the fourth time, is actually in the same chapter. Look down in verse 42. By this point, Paul and Barnabas have gone to another city, and they're proclaiming the truth. They're going into the synagogues, um, and at one point, they go out of the synagogue, and they have this great reception from the Gentiles. Look at verse 42, chapter 13, verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged, I love that, the Gentiles begged. The, char- the harvest is truly ripe. The Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. And contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold. There's our word again. Grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. 
For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. That's quoting the Old Testament. God has always had a heart for the Gentiles. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And then the verse 52 is when they were filled with the Spirit. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Interesting. The fourth occurrence here was also different from the others in different respects. This refilling happened after ministry was fruitful. After they had been successful in their ministry to the Gentiles and to the Jews. And sometimes the Holy Spirit comes upon us in victory and in celebration. They had joy. Why did they have joy? They had joy because God wasn't limiting salvation to just the Jews. And they knew that from the Old Testament. But the the Gentiles accepted them, that they were glad. They were receiving everything, the message, the gospel, all of that. They were getting saved. Some Jews were getting saved. Some proselytes were getting saved. These proselytes weren't full Jews. But they had come very, very far in that. And those people were hungry for the gospel. But also, we're told in Peter, second, or 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14, that if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory in God and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. So not only were they rejoicing that the Gentiles were receiving the gospel, but also that the fact that they were being persecuted validated that they were in the truth because if they weren't in the truth and they weren't in the the new covenant they never would be getting persecuted by the jews but they were and so they were seeing ministry success and i love that it's not just for giving you boldness to preach the gospel it's not just for giving you power to be a witness for him but it's also to to and not only also to be who god's called you to be like the apostle paul with with that judgment and so forth, but also to, to celebrate. The Holy Spirit can come upon us and, and validate what he's done through our lives to further encourage us, to make us more uh, open and receptive to how he wants to use us in the future. Because every ministry success and even every ministry failure, it builds upon, it, excuse me, it builds upon itself for the next opportunity. We learn from every circumstance. We learn from our mistakes. We learn from our victories. So often when we have a ministry victory and we see God use us, we think about it. We contemplate it. How did God use us? What things would we do differently? What things would we do the same? What ways can we depend on God more? We're thinking about all those things. And we're taking stock of those things and inventory. And Lord, what did you want to teach us related to this? And I love the fact that God takes the time to intervene in their lives and to show his pleasure on what he had done through their lives. He filled them with joy. Joy is not based on circumstances. Joy is based on our relationship with God. That's why when our circumstances change and things happen that aren't good, our happiness may go down, but our joy can remain constant because it's based on him and our relationship with him hasn't changed. And his, tr- his promises are still yay and amen. His spirit's still with us. 
Our future is still secure. Our past is still forgiven. Our calling is still out there to, to, to walk in. So it's, it's beautiful. This is a beautiful expression. I, I, it's been missed so much that after all the success here and, and even where hard times and persecution are a part of this, they still are rejoicing and they're still filled with the Holy Spirit and enjoying God's enjoying this situation, and he wants them to enjoy it too. And, 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 you know, like with your children, when they do a good job, you don't want them to rush off and go and do something else right away. You want them to stop. You want them to think about what just happened so that they can fully relish all the enjoyment that they should receive from doing a good job. And God does that here. He has, he has them pause, and he, he fills them with joy. He fills them with the Spirit, and they just really sense his pleasure and his joy. And his, Maybe someone needs to, to, to really sense that today. You're following God. You're obeying what he says. You're following him as best as you can. He's blessed with your walk. He's blessed with your ministry, how he's using you. He wants to encourage you today, that he loves how he's using you, and he wants to use you even more. He wants to refill you with his spirit, potentially, for you to fully enjoy his enjoyment of, of what he's doing through your life. Let you re- I just hope that you receive that this morning, that someone here is needing that and hearing that because he is, he is blessed by your service to him. Now let's turn to Ephesians 5, where we originally started. <clears throat> Ephesians 5 tells us a lot of things that are practical in nature. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are all how we should respond to all the inheritance that he lays out in chapters 1, 2, and 3 that we have in Christ Jesus. And one of the things he says in verse 17 there of chapter 5, he says, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, related to being filled with the Spirit, this verse tells us at least three things. First, it tells us that it's our responsibility to be filled, at least in part. He has the freedom to fill us, even apart from us asking. He has that freedom to do it, and I'm sure he does it at times. But, it, but there are times where we need to, and this is the majority, far beyond the majority actually, we need to be filled with the Spirit. So it's our responsibility to be filled. And we'll get into how that happens in a moment. The second is it's a command. In the original language, that's a, that's a, a form of a verb that communicates a command. He's commanding us to be filled with the Spirit. So it's not optional. Well, you guys are into that filling, refill. I'm, that's not really my thing. You know, God really doesn't tell me that I have to. It's a freedom I have in Christ. No, no, no. Right there, He's telling us you need to be filled with the Spirit because he knows that we need it. And also we see from the same verb, it's literally be being filled. That's the verb tense. It means continuous action. So he's saying continuously be filled with the Spirit. So that's, that basically tells us how often we need or how often we leak, how often we need that power. All the time, we need to be filled with the Spirit. I do want to make one last observation, and that's in, uh, the fa- the, in the reality that verses 19 through 21 is not, are not disconnected from verse 18. Look what verse 19 says in 20 and 21. It says, 
speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. In verse 18, when it says, but be being filled with the Spirit, there's not a period after the word Spirit. Did you notice that? There's a comma. All of what comes after verse 18 is included. So, one of the ways that when we're filled with the Spirit, one of the re- ways that, that that manifests itself, or one of the many ways it can manifest itself, is our ministry to one another and how we serve one another. To be filled with the Spirit, to be able to minister to each other, to say the right word, to, to encourage one another with, with music and to, to, to give thanks to God and to serve one another, to bear one another's burdens, to submit to one another in the fear of God. There are times where we need to submit to God and humble ourselves, ask Him to refill us with the Spirit in order to serve His people and to serve His people well, not just merely serving them, but serving them how he wants them served, to the extent that he wants them served, with the right heart. All those things, God can come in and fill us with the Holy Spirit and give us that power to do it. Sometimes we come here on Sundays and I'm just like everybody else. Sometimes it's not, it's, it's, it's not happening. You know, it's just, you know, you just feel dry or you just had a bad week. And Sunday, there's, there's spiritual warfare going on. There's so many fights on the way to church, historically. And I've, I mean, let's just be honest. Sometimes there's arguments. That's why I drive separately. The same. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you can't fight with her. It's really hard. It just keeps showing you that you're a bonehead. But... You know, you're, there's carnality. There's, and so you get here, and we should come here ready. We should come here filled with the Spirit. We should come here already having a time with the Lord, already ready to engage God's people with His love, with His heart, being sensitive to needs all around us. And one of the most potent times for ministry is before and after the service. It's not like we start the service, we end the service, and now all ministry stops. It happens everywhere, not just on Sundays, obviously. Anywhere we engage God's people, we should be ready to use some spiritual gift, ready to have a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, a prophecy, an encouragement, a prayer, something. We need to be ready to give and to offer something over, and and we don't have the power to do that. How this practically works out in my life, just and I'm not saying I'm the standard, but I'm just saying ever since I learned about being filled with the Holy Spirit and refilled with the Spirit, I ask for this all the time. Many days, multiple, multiple times I ask to be refilled with the Spirit. Whenever I sense I don't have the power to obey God's Word, which can be fairly regularly, I can ask, and I know I have His resources at any moment to have the power and the grace to obey what He says. I've been in Many situations where someone's saying something to me, I don't know what to say, I don't know how to react, or I sense that I want to react the wrong way, immediately I'll ask in my heart. I'm not going to say, hold up, before I get in the flesh, one moment. Okay, now I'm not going to clock you. You know, (laughs) we don't do that. We just, in our hearts, we just pray, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit right now. Give me the power to do the right thing. Because, again, just like the disciples, we know what to do, don't we? There's no question usually on what to do. Sometimes there is. 
But most of the time, we know what to do. We just can't do it. We don't have the power to do it. So in that moment, in our heart, to ask, Lord, fill me with your spirit right now. Overflow me with your spirit. Give me self-control right now. Give me love right now. Help me to do the loving thing right now. Even though I, everything in my being wants to do the opposite thing. You know what? I've never had him not answer that prayer. In 25 years of walking with the Lord, I have never had him not answer that prayer. And it's like this silver bullet, this secret weapon that I have at any moment. I've been in situations where people are screaming at the top of their lungs in my face. People are wondering at any moment, am I going to hit them? And my old self would have probably hit them. And I'm praying at that moment, Lord, give me self-control right now. Give me love for this. And people have been amazed at the, how I'm able to use self-control and not react negatively. And I haven't always done that per- perfectly at all. And I'm only saying it to say that it's because of his grace and his power is available. And if he can do it in me, he can do it in all of us. Trust me. And there are many times where I haven't asked for that power. And I've reacted the wrong way and I've said the wrong thing. So I'm in there with you too. But I'm telling you, it is uncanny. It is um, supernatural how he gives us the power when we stop and we ask in our hearts, Lord, give me the power to obey you right now. And he does it every single time. Every single time. And as we're walking in his will and we're in the moment, sometimes you're more aware of this on a missions trip or something where you're on a trip to do a certain task. You feel like God's res- all of heaven's resources are behind you. There's nothing that can stop you and you're in these incredible, crazy situations that I want to be in the middle of with my brother Reuben here because we've been in some crazy situations already and it's always amazing to be in those situations with someone that you love and that you're partnering with. But, you know, you're in these situations and you think that nothing can stop you and you have all, but we have all that resource right here in our lives right now. When you're not having a good day and you come home and your kids do the wrong thing and you want to be harsh with them and scream at them and you sense, I I can't do that. That would be the wrong thing. Lord, give me the power to react in the right way. Help me to have patience right now. Help me to dwell with my wife with understanding as your word says. Instead of misunderstanding like we most of the time do. You know, and, and he'll do it. The, the single mom that doesn't have the strength to raise their kids and so forth. He will give us that supernatural power to, to raise our kids in the way that we should as a single parent. It, it, he will give us that power. We just have to ask. I, th- I just wish that all of us, myself included, would stop once and for all trying to obey this Christian life and live this Christian life in the power of our own strength. We will fail every time and we have to just stop and let him do the work. I got so tired of Pastor Chuck saying in class, fellas, let the Spirit do the work. Yes, you've said that to us so many times. Why are you repeating that? I didn't say that. Trust me, I didn't say that. But I realize now why he said it so much. Because if he doesn't do the work, it doesn't get done. If you're trying to be led by the Lord and have it, it be his church anyway, if you're trying to have it be your church, it's gonna, you're going to be exerting a lot of strength and a lot of stress that you were never intended to exert. So I just want that to encourage us. We are commanded to be continuously filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 tells us that. So let that be something that we continually do, that we grow in, that we remind each other about. I pray for people, I pray for myself, that we will be reminded by His Spirit to ask, 
to, to be refilled because that's what he's talking about. Luke 11 says, You being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? They came together in Acts chapter 4 and they prayed and they asked God for boldness. He delivered. It was an earthquake. You know, I mean, the whole, you know, can you imagine that? And he filled them with the Holy Spirit and he showed them that, I've, that you have nothing to be afraid of. What can man do to you? What can they take from you? If they kill you, you've just been graduated. And now you get a new body. And now, I mean, there's nothing they can do. Let's go forward in the power of the Holy Spirit and make a difference in this world. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit right now, I pray. You would come upon us right now and fill us to overflowing. Give us the power to live for you, Lord. I pray for every one of our hearts that we would commit right now to live for you completely sold out and let you do the work through our lives. Remind us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit to, to, to ask you to fill us, to give us that power to live that amazing life, the privileged life that we all get to live. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.